becoming a single-person instructor flight training organisation, and how to deal with things when the pressure cranks up in the cockpit. All that and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 75 of the Flight Training Australia podcast, the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. I'm your host Trent Robinson, thank you for joining me. Hope you've had a fantastic week getting heaps of flying in. The wet season is almost finished but I tell you what, it's hanging on tight. We've been having um, some great storms the last few days, not necessarily quite hitting Darwin but definitely just to the south, um, not hitting my house. But a couple have, and I know looking at photos from this time last year, it was almost all clearing up and uh, the dry season kicking in. The cyclone off the West Australian coast has definitely just re-energised things a little bit. So I guess another week or two, um, it could be another tropical low sitting off the north coast of, of Australia um, in about two weeks' time if you have a look at some of the predictions. So who knows? might be in for a little bit longer certainly enjoying the thunder and lightning although pretty much ready for all the heat and humidity to go away and get into that dry season beautiful weather all right well look i'll tell you what it's been um, a very interesting week with an email coming out earlier in the week announcing new streamlined applications to be able to conduct flight training for instructors and for those of you who don't really know what's going on this took me by surprise i knew it was being talked about but i had no idea it was this far uh, down the line and what it's going to allow instructors to do is basically be their own flight school as an individual so no other staff just themselves and they will be able to teach the training endorsements that they hold so what does this mean for everybody? Well, let's let's just have a look at what's going on and have a bit of a, th- a talk about it. So CASA announced that the initiative is part of a general aviation work plan to essentially make it easier for flight instructors that want to operate independently and obtain a Part 141 flight training approval. So what that means is up until before this came out, instructors could do certain things as themselves Um, much like I do now. So a lot of the checks and training flights, um, IPC preparation, that sort of stuff, all competency, proficiency flying, uh, can be done as an instructor. You don't need a flying school to do that sort of thing. It also allows things like design features and uh, flight activity training, so aerobatics, formation, tailwheel, all that sort of stuff. That can all be done as an individual. You don't need to be a flying school in the traditional sense. What this is going to mean now is if you hold as an instructor certain training endorsements, for example, you grade three and two, maybe one, uh, multi-engine training, instrument training, instructor training, whatever other, night VFR, et cetera, et cetera, you can apply to get your own one-for-one certificate and you will no longer need to train those things under a traditional one-for-one or one-for-two flight school 
Now, the idea is this is to um, allow instructors out into regional centres and allow or bring training to regional centres. And from that perspective, I think absolutely. And that will make a lot of sense. It will remove a lot of overheads. Um, if you compare a one-for-one individual compared to a one-for-one flight training school, you need to have a CEO, head of operations, a ham C, um, you need to have all levels of insurance, you need to have uh, occupational health and safety insurance, all that sort of thing. You need to have uh, far more structure and it costs a lot more to apply for. As an individual, you would be the who, you would be the, the CEO, you'd also be the instructor. So it's a one-stop shop. So automatically there's hundreds of thousands of dollars saved there. Um, and from a regional point of view, if you're able to travel and get to these places and there's obviously suitable training facilities, a, a room, briefing room you can use, and an aircraft and that sort of thing, and you're suitably set up to use those, well, this can change things a lot. A lot of the time for companies, it's just too expensive or not worth sending them out and, and to do this sort of thing. But now it could very much change the way things are done. But the question that I know a lot of people are asking is what's going to be the impact on flight schools in your capital cities and, and major hubs? That's what's going to be the interesting thing to watch. And hopefully we don't see that horrible word, unintended outcomes. If people don't need to work for a flying school, will they stay with that? There's obviously a lot of costs involved here. There's a $1,500 application fee. You're going to have to find somewhere to do the training. You're going to have to organize cross-fire agreements with airplanes. You need to know what you're doing. So there's certainly a little bit of risk uh, involved with that. So anyone thinking about doing it, I would certainly uh, exercise caution and make sure you're well advised and look into all of that. The other thing to be mindful of is you know, where are you actually going to do this? If indeed a lot of instructors leave, what's what happens to the flying schools? Are they going to just become a room hire and aircraft hire facility uh, with a bunch of contract instructors instead of employees? Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see. I certainly hope not. That there is a need for 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 both. I believe. Um, I know there's a lot of arguments of people thinking, well, you know, people are just going to charge themselves out at rock bottom prices. And I guess that can happen, but that that's the free market and your credibility and reputation will very much play a part and, and people will pay what they're happy to pay. And we'll just have to see what happens there. But I don't think a race to the bottom is certainly worth anyone's time or effort. Um, get paid as little enough as it is in GA sometimes without having to do things like that. So hopefully people run a good tight ship, remain professional. Um, we tend to do funny things when we're not being watched by others. Uh, you need to be disciplined and make sure you do everything properly. And the next question will be, will CASA have the capacity to monitor all of this and, and, and oversight? because 
if people are going to start doing silly things, I guess there's not much stopping them doing that in a flight school now. Um, whether they do that as an individual or not, that time will tell. But I guess clients will soon uh, determine who those people are and probably not fly with them anymore. So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, in a nutshell, if you are an instructor and you want to know more about this, then you can uh, have a look at the CASA website. I'll, of course, put the link in the uh, episode description where you can have a look at all this. But essentially what you need to do is download a copy of the guide, which will lead you through how to complete the sample operations manual. You download the sample operations manual and that's all there ready to edit and you can make modifications to that as appropriate, insert your own company name and all that sort of thing. Once you've made your changes, you need to generate the syllabus. Now, it says that you need to use the sample syllabi. Now, or syllabuses, it says. I don't know if that's right. Anyway, the sample syllabuses, if you click on the link and have a look, they're not all there. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. They are saying that the rest will be, well, there's updates coming. I can only assume that means the rest are coming uh, before the end of April. So the sample syllabi there, some of them are a little bit clunky and messy. So I'm hoping that some modifications and changes can be done. The concept here is they're trying to make this a streamlined application. So here's the ops manual, here's the syllabus. Basically put your name all over it and delete the bits that aren't relevant and send it to us. And, and that's part of the, uh, the low cost structure. What will be interesting to see is, yeah, whether people start really changing things, are they going to charge us more? Um, I don't know. We're just going to have to look at that. Um, so, yeah, so once you've done the ops manual and the syllabus, complete the form, pay your money. It's an application form there. Send it in and we'll see what happens. We'll see how long this takes to approve. We'll see how many people actually do it. And then I guess whether there is indeed any fallout from it. I certainly hope not. Um, that's the last thing that I would want to see happen. But it will um, make life easier for some and possibly more difficult for others. So yeah, let's let's see what happens, and hopefully it all uh, it all works out well. All right, now I received an email uh, during the week um, from Brad, and he he wrote to me and just said, "I just wanted to share my experience with you, and if you could possibly help with task saturation uh, for single pilot IFR." So he goes on to say that he recently just connected 11 days straight um, of training back-to-back, -back, including night flying and a test. Weather conditions are great. I flew my favourite aircraft um, and uh, we're heading in for ILS and VOR approaches. Tolerances were great. Really happy with how things are going and really focused, ready for the next approaches coming up. As we entered the control area, I went to ident the ILS, which had a poor signal, and then reconfirmed the VOR for the next approach and everything was all good. I then got vectored around a bit for the approach and I thought, let's get ahead of the aeroplane and confirm the ILS is uh, all ready to go. Just as I confirmed the ident, the tower gave me a new heading and altitude. I quickly took these instructions and continued to intercept the VOR on the CDI. At this point, I could feel the tunnel visioning happening on making the perfect approach. Tower came on and asked me what approach I was shooting first 
I looked at my plate and confirmed the VOR. And then my friendly examiner asked, should the G5 show localizer on the screen? And I anxiously confirmed yes. I'd failed to switch the VOR back and with two prompts couldn't register the green localizer display was not what I wanted to see and tune correctly. So who listening has had a similar experience to that? I wrote back to Brad and thanked him for the email and just said, look, reading that, I just started cringing because I could almost see exactly where this was going. And it is not uncommon. Distractions in the cockpit uh, is going to get us all the time. So what are some ways for task saturation that well, we can deal with that task saturation and try and avoid ending up in this terrible position that poor Brad got himself into as well? And good old prior preparation prevents poor performance is definitely one of them. But again, we can prepare beautifully. It doesn't stop making mistakes in the cockpit. And by the sounds of it, Brad was really well prepared. So part of the problem here is if you've done any or seen any airline style training and that sort of thing, if you're doing checklists and you get interrupted, you go back to the beginning The reason being is it might be a very simple process, but sometimes you can get lost to where you are, you start running out of time, and the time pressure is what gets you and forces you into a situation. In this case, the tower started getting involved in the flight more, the vectors started, he was getting closer to the the final approach, and that's where he ran out of time to do his things. So having a checklist to come back to is also really critical. I find people in IFR flying tend to try and do everything out of their head. Now, we use checklists in all other phases of flight, so why not create a checklist for you setting up your approach? Hopefully you can visualize this, but if you've got two instrument approach, sorry, if instrument approach plate, you might have them on your iPad, you might have them in paper. You can have a paper checklist. You can have some notes written on your chart itself. I've discussed that earlier, and I've got a YouTube video on how to do that. But if you write yourself a little checklist that you tune identify the frequency, you tune or set the CDI needle to the correct source, you've got the correct approach plate, you've briefed it for the weather, for circling approach or landing, Um, or the missed approach because it's training, whatever you're doing there. This is all going to help you. So if you get interrupted, you come back to it. And I'd even go as far as making the checklist specific to that particular approach you're doing. I used to have, when I did mine in Perth, I had the 2-1 ILS approach, and I had the frequencies, the idents, how to set that particular CDI, we didn't have G5s and you know glass stuff back then. So that was set to nav one. I had the standby VOR set to nav two for lead radials and that sort of thing. And it was all specific to that approach. Obviously, as the pressure disappears, you start doing your approaches more often. You're not going to need something so descriptive, just a standard generic uh, inbound brief or checklist to to follow and apply to any approach you do will be sufficient because you'll be able to intermix and change. So that would be the number one thing I would say to do there is to have a checklist and come back to it when you're ready so that you don't miss out on um, 
just doing silly things like pushing that damn CDI button. All right. And and remember, CDI stands for Course Deviation Indicator. VLOC, that button is VOR or localizer. So what one do I want? Or if we hit it, it'll go to the GPS. So you need to check that source and you've got the right one. Tune, identify, test. That'll help you out every time. All right, Brad, so sorry to hear um, of the disaster that ensued, but mate, this is all learning as you, uh, I know you've acknowledged and we'll only go to serve you for next time and be better prepared. So hopefully that helps you and hopefully that helps everybody else. All right, so that's it for this week. Thank you for uh, joining me. Remember, if you'd like to reach out, info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can get me on Instagram or Facebook. Just look for Trent Robinson Aviation and also on LinkedIn and TikTok. Next week, um, I'm trying to get an interview recorded. I've uh, Again, everyone's just getting really, really busy, but I have some great interviews queued up. We'll hopefully get a couple of them landed this week and out to you. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, any updates and things that happen with all these instructor changes, I'll certainly report back more as I find out more. All right, everybody, stay safe, blue skies, and remember the golden rule. Aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>